1: Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast. In this episode, we explore what many claim to be Britain's most beautiful river, the Dove in Derbyshire. It was first made famous in Isaac Walton's 17th century masterpiece, The Complete Angler, as one of the finest trout streams in the land, and it remains a honeypot for tourists and walkers today. But not all is well with the River Dove, so we sent our reporter Andrew Griffiths to find out what the problem is. The River Dove is one of England's most famous and beautiful rivers. It rises amidst the bleakness of Atsedge Moor above the Spa town of Buxton, but then gets progressively more beautiful as it cuts away through the sandstone and then into the spectacular limestone gorge of the Dove Valley where it forms the border between the counties of Derbyshire and Staffordshire. It eventually flows into the River Trent then out to sea at the Humber estuary, but it is this stretch through the Derbyshire Dales for which it is most famous, Beresford Dale, Wolfscot Dale, the tiny hamlets of Milldale, and finally Dovedale itself. These are all names well known to the region's many admirers for centuries, whether they be walkers, artists or fishermen. This is the river where Isaac Walton, who wrote The Complete Angler, plied his trade in the mid-1600s. There is a fishing house on the riverbank that was built in his honour that still stands today, and both Byron and Wordsworth wrote fondly of the striking limestone formations that line the river's path. All should be perfect in this idyllic scene, but it isn't. The river is in poor ecological health, and the reason is the many small weirs that have been built along it. They are literally choking the life out of it. So take them out, it seems an obvious solution. But there is one problem. These small weirs, or mini waterfalls as many of the valley's two million visitors a year think of them, are one of the reasons the river is so loved. But the National Trust, the Peak District National Park, the Trent Rivers Trust and the land users have all come together to form a restoration plan. The plan is to remove these weirs and explain why they are doing it to the many people who care so deeply about this valley. I went along to the River Dove to find out exactly why these weirs had to go. Here's Julie Vosnitska, project manager of the Trent Rivers Trust, to tell me just what the problem is.
0: When you have a weir like that, it covers up the natural habitat. So you've put a stone weir on top of the rocks that would have been underneath. The water level's raised, so any beaches and riffles and things are drowned out and that's habitat that wildlife needs to to live in it and behind your weirs you get a lot of silt you get barely flowing water and the river then puts down any load of of stones and particles that it's carrying and just deposits them behind the weirs and then it can't make the natural um, beaches and pools and things that nature le- needs to thrive in, really.
1: I suppose that what, what we've done is, I mean, it looks lovely and it looks natural as you walk through, but it's a completely artificial environment that we've created, isn't it?
0: It is. It's quite hard to get your head around that because it does look lovely, but if you look at it, it's kind of in a straitjacket. What happens as well when you build a weir is, um, as anyone that's ever built one as a kid will know, the water flows round the side of it and they've ended up having to put a wall along the side as well, so So this river, there's a weir, and then as soon as the river gets past the weir, it's got no energy again because it's up to the next weir. So all you've got is walls down the sides, the weirs, and then just flat water in between, like a staircase, really.
1: I suppose, thinking about it, I suppose when you built these weirs, in a way it's like building a time bomb, really, isn't it? Because you don't get the effect straight away. Is that silting up that's behind the weir. is cumulative over time. And it's that that's doing the real damage from an ecological point of view, isn't it? Just explain to me again what what, what harm that silt does. And I'm thinking, you know, in terms of the invertebrate life and the fish.
0: Yeah. Well... That silt turns the river into a completely different kind of river. You know, if you were to look at this river where we're stood now, this looks like a lowland river. It looks like a slowly flowing lowland river. So there are This creatures. bit of it looks
1: like a canal, almost.
0: It does, really. And so with that silt covers up the gravels. You haven't got nice, clean gravels that fish need to spawn in. You haven't got um, variety of flow and things that the that the insects and um, the the fly life that lives in a river needs, and that's what the fish feed off, and the birds feed off that off the insects and the fish. So all of that um, ecology hasn't really got a home that it needs that it needs to have to thrive in.
1: And I suppose it's one of the interesting things, just having spoken to Natalie, the, the archaeologist, is that we all look at rivers, and we all know, we all think that, that rivers is just a flow of water. But, of course, it's more than a flow of water. It's like different timescales at work, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. This is, this is a fascinating thing for me about rivers. So it is a flow of water, but that water's carrying a load of, of sediment, which is the particles and stones that it carries, and that's what's shaping the river. That's what's carving the valleys and the whole shape of rivers as we look at them, and that's home to all the wildlife and it's home to the people that live around it. So as well as it being about water and sediment and wildlife, it's about people, economics, recreation, social activities. R- rivers bring it all together in a fascinating um, kind of mixture, really. It's,
1: it's one, of, one of the things that we said about these weirs is that the, the, they look like they've been there forever, but in actual fact, they were, most of them were put in, in the, or a lot of them were put in in the 1920s and 30s, for, by angling clubs for angling, which the again just shows this long centuries-long association of angling with the river dove uh, how are you finding working with the angling yeah. clubs today are, are you finding any resistance about pulling these weeds out or
0: yes well they're, they're a mixed um, you know they're a mixed bag really and within individual angling clubs obviously there are a whole range of opinions so people always like what they've got at the moment so a lot of people uh, a lot of the anglers like the current way of, of fishing but then there are some of them who are more keen to get the wild trout back and that's what some of the fishing clubs have done so they're they're much keener on doing something with the weirs but they still want to make sure it's good for angling But interestingly, what they're also doing is putting in large pieces of wood and bits of trees so that there's habitat for the fish when mm. they're young. Because if, if they're wild trout, you then have to provide the habitat. They need the habitat for all the different mm. stages of their life, which in these where there's weirs, these were put in so that fish could be grown in a hatchery or a fish farm and brought to the river and put mm. in. So you don't need that habitat for them to spawn in and for them to be protected as, as really young fish.
1: All being well. It's a long term project this, isn't it? Yeah. What what kind of what kind of timescale are you looking over?
0: 10 or twenty years, probably. So, so you're
1: not you're not going to have anybody reaching for the smelling salts when they come down and suddenly say that the weirs are all gone overnight. It's
0: not <laughs> no, no. There's there, we found that there are 177 of them, so there's plenty to go at. There's 177
1: and weirs. 177 in, in how long? In 11
0: kilometres. In 11 so, kilometres. So, you know, it? in some places like where we're standing here, they're they're only 50 yards apart or something like that. Um, so there are plenty to go at, and there are ones where there are quicker wins where people aren't as concerned about it. So our aim is to start with the ones that are where we can get the most agreement, to do a lot of research on it, to to check that we're doing the right things, and then begin to influence people in, where there's a bit more um, hesita- hesitancy about it. So
1: in twenty years' time, all goes well, how will this river look?
0: It will have um, natural gravel bars. It'll have natural pools that are scoured out by the river rather than these very sluggish pools. Those pools will have water upwelling in them. They'll have wild trout in them. They'll have grayling. um, And the river would have happy people by them as well. It'll have happy people who are fishing, who are enjoying the wild fishing. It'll have happy people who are still enjoying the recreation and and the beautiful habitats that that will emerge as the the weirs are gradually um, removed.
1: Well, that sounds, and I can just see a big golden retriever over there just rolling on, and it's back in happiness just as you were speaking. We <laughs> <laughs> must have heard you. Thanks very much, Delia. That's great. Thank okay, you very
0: much.
1: Thanks. Thank you to Andrew for that excellent report. And if you'd like to comment on any of the issues raised, email us at editor at countryfile.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more at countryfile.com. This is a podcast for BBC Countryfile magazine, produced in Bristol by Jack Fletcher.